Welcome to the Book Marketing Action Podcast. We feature exciting guests, real conversations, and actions you can take to reach the biggest possible audience for your work. I'm Becky Robinson, your host for the podcast, the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence, and the author of Reach, Create the Biggest Possible Audience for Your Message, Book, or Cause. I also created the Reach More Readers Workshops. Thank you for choosing to learn with me, and I hope you'll take action today as a result of listening to this show. If you benefit from the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us to help us reach more listeners. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. My name is Becky Robinson, and I'm so thrilled to be today with my friend, Catherine Golub. Catherine and I met about a year ago at the Barrett Kohler Nonfiction Book Marketing Workshop, and last week we reconnected again at the same conference. And so um, I'm going to give Catherine a chance to introduce herself, and then we're going to do something a little bit different today where Catherine is actually going to interview me on some of the questions that she has post-workshop about marketing and book proposals, and we hope that listening in on this conversation will be of value to you on your journey. Catherine, tell us about yourself and your work. Sure. Yeah, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for this conversation. Uh, I am a leadership and career coach primarily for folks who are engaged in some type of social justice work, who are burned out from working really hard and doing a real lot, and who want to learn how to emerge from their burnout so that they can uh, really get clear about what's next in their lives and find joy in the long haul. And um really love their lives and make a contribution to their communities. And I, my business is the Center for Callings and Courage, and I have just finished a manuscript. The working title is Radical Discernment, A Changemaker's Guide to Healing from Burnout and Choosing What's Next. Amazing. So I would definitely encourage you if you're interested in what Catherine is doing to go over to her website and we'll make sure that the link is in the notes for this episode, but sign up for Catherine's email newsletter. It comes out on Saturdays. It's, she calls it a love letter. I'm a subscriber and a fan and Catherine, over the past year, since I've been following you, I have used your Instagram account as an example for clients a number of times because I love the way that you show up with value that's deep and inspiring and encouraging all on your Instagram feed. So I have loved following you and I appreciate the value that you're adding to those spaces. Thank you. That means Mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. Well, let's dive in. What's on your mind today? Yeah, I have so many questions. So just first of all, I want to thank you for the conference last week. It was great. I took a couple, took the weekend um, and added a whole bunch to my marketing plan. I'm in the process of writing my book proposal now that the manuscript's complete and, uh, and brought away so much value to add to the, the marketing plan. And so I have a few, well, I have several questions uh, as part of that. Sure. Um, and my first is that I know that on LinkedIn and on, I think on LinkedIn, I've really seen you um, emphasize the importance of nurturing your relationships with people in your network and how that can be a really important part of a launch. And that, um, you know, when I look at books to review or even to purchase, I think that 
the Amazon reviews, even though I don't purchase books directly from Amazon now, the Amazon reviews really add a lot of credibility. And I know that you've done this with your launch of having supporters uh, really asking and encouraging supporters to write reviews. And so after the the conference, I've made a list. I think there's like 160 something people who I would feel really comfortable, you know, fellow activists, past and current clients, friends, um, to, I'd be really comfortable asking them to buy, review and amplify the book. And yet I'm curious, like, what are, what more? I know that I have this list now and I imagine that the book will be published sometime a year-ish or hopefully a little bit less, but about a year from now, what are steps that we can take or that I can take in the next year to cultivate a really effective launch team besides really making sure these requests are reciprocal and continuing to pay attention to these relationships? Just what, what, what to do over the next year and perhaps particularly around launch? Sure. So one of the things that comes to mind is with a whole year to go, it's likely that you have the opportunity to develop even more relationships between now and then so that you can make the list longer. So in my book, in the appendix of my book, I describe the four phases of launch and anywhere longer than six months before your book comes out, I call the building phase. And what you want to do during that phase is add as many connections and contacts as you can. So over the year, what you want to be doing is adding more names to the list as you meet new people. And part of that means proactively making new connections on Instagram, LinkedIn, any of those social channels that you're on. And more than just the surface level of connecting, really looking to deepen those relationships with people. And what you may want to do, Catherine, is to set a goal. You know, do you want to develop five new connections per month? And what does that look like? And how many people might you need to connect with on LinkedIn and Instagram or follow in order to make at least five of those relationships a bit deeper. And it could just be as simply as, you know, asking for a brief phone call to get to know someone to see if there's any value that you can add to their work. You know, uh, for some authors, I encourage at that stage when you're about a year or a year and a half out from launch to consider doing something like a podcast and a great way to build relationships that can be more reciprocal in advance of needing anything is to invite those other people in your space to be on your podcast. And that initial like offering something of value to them can really start to forge a strong connection. But even without a podcast, just the idea of proactively adding to the people in your network with, you know, relevant kind of partners um, is a good approach. So that's, that's one thing that, that uh, occurs to me. And, you know, we have this new shared language. Pam Slim was the keynote, uh, closing keynote. And Pam talked about looking for others in your ecosystem and how we can be collaborative with them. So I would go back to that lesson from Pam Slim and just think about how can I continue to grow that list from 160 to larger and I realize you might have follow-up questions because I didn't address everything you said. So feel free to sure. ask. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of follow-up questions. The first is I have a vision for a podcast that is kind of like the next book. Uh, the, the working idea is called Islands of Solidarity based on Margaret Wheatley's Islands of Sanity and, and talking about you know how do we create change on a local level and interviewing people who are engaged in local change making in a really effective way and, and asking about what works. And that's a, something I'm very excited to do. And um, 
but I probably don't have the bandwidth for the next year and a half to do that. And I'm wondering, does a podcast have to be like, do I have to start the radical discernment podcast, which is, I don't know, I, I, I don't have the same energy around, but I could do it. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that. You know, I think any content that you can create that is around your core topics will help you as it relates to growing your connections in the world. So there's nothing that says that you have to build a podcast around this book that's already in process. And it also doesn't have to be a podcast. You know, I was I was listening to you and I thought of this author I'm serving right now. Her name is Libby Hoffman. And I don't think Libby will mind me giving her a shout out. She has well, a Libby's book coming. Yeah. Oh, you know her. I do. Oh, so, but I didn't know you knew her, but like in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, what if you interviewed Libby about her book and you just did some kind of Facebook live or Instagram live, it doesn't mean that you have to make a commitment to this sustainable approach where you have a, a podcast every other week or something. You can just, as the opportunity arises, if you meet someone who's interesting, who's in your ecosystem, talk about your shared topics of interest and put it out in whatever way makes sense to you. And it it doesn't have to be an overwhelming thing. Anything you can do to just continue to build that network of relationships, add value to others, be generous to others, you know, be memorable to others so that when your book comes out, you know, maybe there's some reciprocation that happens. Um, but it's so- sort of more like open-handed. Like I've been so surprised by the generosity of people to me. And, you know, I've, I've had different relationships over time where I might have invested in them more in the past. And I'll give you an example of one. Um, there's an HR blogger named um, Charlene Lobby. She blogs at the HR Bartender. And she was on my list of people to reach out to when the book came out. So I sent her a note and I sent her a book and she read it and she featured it on her blog. And after she featured it on her blog, I wrote back and said, hey, are there ways that we could collaborate further? you know, if you think my book would help your communities. And so we're pursuing doing a joint webinar mm-hmm. in the upcoming months. Now, Charlene is someone I was very close to years ago, and we've been more out of touch. So I would say, I bet if you got 160 people on your list, if you dig deeper or go back further, you can probably make that list even longer and don't decide in advance that those people don't care mm-hmm. about you anymore. You know, I've been pleasantly surprised by, you know, those relationships that I might've invested more in earlier in my journey. And mm-hmm. yet there's still the opportunity to reignite and collaborate. That's a good point. I mean, I could, <laughs> I could probably double that list pretty quickly. Um, I just know in the, in the conversation, the person that I forget their name um, that you interviewed was like, okay, there were 60 people I felt really comfortable asking. And I was like, ooh, I, I feel really comfortable asking these like 160. But it's a good point. I, it doesn't hurt to ask. And there, there's many other people who I bet I could, I could, bet I could ask. So thank you. Well, and you can grow your connections between yes. now and when the book comes out. And naturally that number will grow. Okay. And I'm curious about in the three months pre-launch, what that was the time that I had the most questions about. Oh, I know in your book, I think it's six months, six months, and then the launch month. But that time pre-launch, what to do to be, one, to be cultivating relationships with, uh, with people on my launch team. And I'll ask this at the same time, but you might answer it separately. No, as soon as I know how I'm publishing, I'm going to I have a list, a long list of people who I want to ask for endorsements, more 
more well-known thought leaders and I'm wondering about engaging them also in the like the lead up to, to launch and launch month. Sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about endorsements first, and then I'll talk about that working phase of your launch and how you're cultivating relationships. So as it relates to endorsements, you likely will have to get those much, much sooner than six months before launch. So typically, let me just speak from my own experience. My first draft of my book was due on June. Hmm, I can't remember July 7th, I think it was. And it was shortly after that, that I also had to begin to seek out endorsements. And I had to turn in the final draft, like the second draft of my book on September 7th. And it was at that time, I believe that my endorsements were due, but my book didn't come out until April. So typically you write a first draft, you're editing the first draft and getting endorsements. And then when you submit your final draft, it's by no means final because then you go to copy edits and such, but that's really when they want those endorsements secured. And so the first thing I would say about endorsements is you probably need fewer than you think. And so I would look at my top 10 and really only target my top 10, you know, strongest relationships for the endorsements. It might be that you'll want to take one of those top 10 if you have a well-known person who might write a foreword to your book and you want to secure that foreword first. And I'll tell you a little bit about my foreword. My foreword came from Whitney Johnson and she was one of my uh, first clients and is, you know, in the thinkers 10. She's like number eight or something like that. She's amazing. Um, And for a time I wondered about, should I try for a bigger name? Like, should I try for someone I don't know who has a bigger name than Whitney? And eventually what I decided was, no, like I would be so joyful if Whitney said yes to me and I don't want her to feel like my second choice. She isn't my second choice. And so I asked her and she immediately said yes. So if you're thinking about doing a foreword to the book, I would say, go with someone who knows you, who you expect to get a yes from more than like going for a bigger name. Um, That's just like my inclination. So as you're looking at the top 10, think about, is there one who who could write a foreword for your book? And then second, you know, really you only need about six great endorsements. And if you have others, there may be something else you can ask them to support your book. And what you don't want to do is like burn out all your best relationships with one type of ask. So I would over time just really think about, um, which, which endorsements I'd most want. And, you know, of the endorsements that I ended up with, one was from someone I never knew before at all. And so it may be that there are relationships that you have where people know someone who could be a good endorser for your book, and it's not someone you know at all. So Alan Dibb, who wrote a best-selling marketing book called One Page Marketing Plan, he wrote an endorsement for my book, I didn't know him, his publisher, page two books, uh, Trina White is my friend there. She made the request to Alan for the endorsement and he said yes. So don't um, overlook the fact that you may be able to connect to a credible endorser for your book. And in some ways to have an endorser for your book who didn't know you is amazing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And one more note about endorsements. I hope this isn't like too much, but um, in the process of my seeking endorsements, I published, as you know, with Barrett Cooler Publishers. So when you turn in your first draft, Barrett Cooler Publishers sends your book out to independent reviewers. They are compensated to do a thorough review of that first draft manuscript. And I had three independent reviewers of my book. um, And as I read 
their feedback, I right away knew that I wanted to ask one of those independent reviewers to endorse my book. And so it was Helena Brantley who uh, wrote this wonderful review of my first draft. And I eventually asked her and she agreed to endorse my book. So you may have these surprises. I didn't know Helena before that. Um, And yet, you know, her feedback was such that I really wanted to incorporate her endorsement. This is really helpful. And I'm, I'm still, I'm still curious. There's, I, a year ago was my, this is my fourth draft of this manuscript. I wanted to get it to a place where I felt it's needed to change several times (laughs) over the last four years. And now I'm really proud of it. I feel really good about it. And I trust that it'll change a lot in the editing process, um, which is great. And last year, I actually reached out to several um, people that I really love and um, who are in my circle um, for endorsements. So I have like these 15, 15 wonderful, wonderful endorsements. None of the people are particularly famous. <laughs> and, um, and I've gotten other advice that it's really important to have credibility, to have to, to have endorsements from pretty famous people, but I, I'm not, I don't have many famous connections. And so I'm curious, like who to reach out to. And this is not necessarily a question to you, but I'm just I'm sitting with some curiosity about who to reach out to first and for other, for other folks. And I don't, I don't know who to ask for the endorsement. I have some ideas, but they're quite famous people and not Brene Brown, but you know, they're well known. And I don't know that they have the time to write, you know, and I don't, I don't have that intimate relationship to immediately call on like you have with Whitney. So I'm, I'm like, hmm. Well, so he, here's what I would say about that. If it's, if, if it's good for me to weigh in. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think you necessarily need famous people. I think it's helpful if you don't have people whose names are recognizable that potentially they're connected to an organization whose names people might recognize. So and not even necessarily like famous organizations. You know, if you, you know, have partnered with nonprofits, if there's the name of a nonprofit that may be recognizable, or, you know, maybe it's a government agency that people might know the name of, or, um, so that's one place to start. You know, when we're working on business books, I'll often say, you know, get a corporate name that people get. Like, you know, you might not know the name of the person, but if they're from Coca-Cola or, you know, they're from McDonald's or, you know, whatever big name corporation, I'm not expecting those would be inappropriate (laughs) for your book, but but I'm just saying, you know, go with, with some kind of recognizable brand, even if the person isn't recognizable. The other thing you don't want to do is overlook the importance of having diversity represented amongst the people you ask to endorse your book. So, you know, a lot of times people come to me and I'll say, okay, well, where are the women endorsing your book? Where are the people of color? You know, where, so you, you don't want to just focus on one demographic, but you want to have a bunch of representation amongst the people who endorse your book. Um, And the other thing would be, you know, if there are people on that dream list, you may be connected to people who have those connections. So you mentioned Meg Wheatley as someone you admire, Um, you know, if you choose to publish with Barrett Kohler Publishers or, you know, if they uh, take your title on, you know, Meg's a Barrett Kohler author. So when you have that connection sometimes there are people at the publisher who could make that recommendation or reach out 
to someone on your behalf, if that makes sense. It does. So um, look for those kind of second level connections. Like you may not know the person who's on your dream list of endorsers, but chances are you might know someone who knows that person. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, Heather Younger, who's another Barrett Cooler author, I think she spoke at the conference last yeah. week. Um, she, she was looking to get an endorsement from Whitney Johnson and asked me for an introduction. Now I'm not always willing necessarily to make those introductions. I try to be very, very careful of my relationships. So in this case, I went to Whitney first. I said, Whitney, someone's come to me. They want an endorsement. Is this something you're open to? And I didn't actually make that connection until Whitney said yes. So always be careful, um, and be respectful if people say, yes, I can do that. No, I can't do that. Um, trust them. Um, And, but, you know, be willing to, you know, see or network amongst the people you do have good connections with to see if you can jump to that stronger endorsement for your book. Yeah. And also make it easy for your endorsers to say yes. So um, one of the ways that I recommend that people do this is by writing some sample endorsements. And if you feel like you're too close to the material, you know, ask a colleague or a close friend, but think about what is it that you most want people to say about your book? You know, if they could use certain words, like what are the words you want people to use to describe your book? What do you most hope they'll think when they read the book? What do you want them to experience? What do you want them to learn? And draft a list of like 10 possible endorsements. Then when you do get a connection to someone, give them three to choose from. Say, here are some samples, choose one, edit it, make it your own. And that's really going to help people get that much farther because sometimes, you know, people want to help, they're busy, they don't, they don't know what to write. Um, and just giving them some language can be really helpful, in ter- especially if you have a deadline. That's really helpful, Becky. My wheels are turning, but I'll do all sorts of connections that, um, that I yeah, can what- potentially make. What I most miss, I had this woman who worked with me at Weaving Influence. Her name was Whitney Hines. Whitney Hines was the best person to write sample endorsements of anyone I've ever met. She just had a knack for it. So Whitney, I miss you if you're hearing Mm. this. Mm. So I'm curious to hear more of what your thoughts about that working phase of, yeah. Yeah. Let's get back to that. So Yeah. yeah, I do call the working phase, like the four to six months leading up to launch. And there are a few priorities that I recommend that you focus on. And you specifically asked about, well, how do I cultivate a relationship with my launch team members during that time? And what I would say is the more personal you can make your relationships or your outreaches around the launch team, the more it will help to cement those relationships. And I think people definitely get when you're in the ramp up to a book that you're busy and they will be forgiving. So you want to make your outreach to your launch team as personal as possible, as individualized as possible. One of the ways that I did that was creating some fun collateral items that we put in the packages when we sent my books out. The other way that we made that, you know, more personal was that I took the time to hand sign each book and to hand sign each letter. And where I could, I would, you know, also add some additional comments. So I would encourage you to make sure you have time because it is a little bit overwhelming. So I did have uh, the advanced copies of my book about five weeks before launch. And what I did is almost every single evening, I was up here in my office with a table and I had I had the letters and I had the books and I had the collateral and I had the envelopes and my daughter helped a little 
And I was just, you know, making each one, you know, as I touched each envelope, I was really thinking about that person and even to take an extra 10 seconds to write a personal note. Um, so that I think during the working phase is, is time well spent. You know, if people send you emails, do your best to personally respond. I do have a few still in my inbox of people that emailed me when my book came out and those are still waiting for responses. You can also experiment with using a Facebook group for your launch team. So we did create a Facebook group for my launch. And I will say that I give myself about a C plus for how I showed up in that group. Um, I wasn't as consistent in talking with that group as I had hoped to be. Um, but I have seen other authors do it really well, where they have their launch team members come into a, a Facebook group and they show up regularly, maybe, with, um, you know, posting questions or comments or ideas. And that can be helpful if you want to ask for different small things along the way that you can show up in the group um, with some content, with some asks along the way. Uh, the thing about a Facebook group for launch or pre-launch is that it's it's a kind of a time-limited group. It's not the kind of thing that you're going to continue to post in long after launch. So you may want to let people know, hey, I'm going to, you know, if you're interested, you can join this group. It's going to go for three months before launch. It's going to go for two months after launch. At that point, I'll close the group, but it's a place where you can access me more easily. But if you make that commitment, you definitely want to follow through on it. And I, I've just found it very overwhelming. Yeah, I, I can imagine all the content that needs to be created for social media and my love letter list and everything um, is the idea with that, that you're creating unique content, like you said, consistent, is that like unique content weekly or something like that for, you know, not necessarily. I think it in some ways, it's more of a let me think about how to describe this. Well, when you call it a launch team, you know, in some ways that implies like that there's work to be done. You know, when we work on a team, there's work to be done. So what I would envision with the Facebook launch team is kind of that showing up to say, hey, here's what's going on with the book today. Could you do X, Y, Z? Um, you could definitely be pointing to other content that you are creating, but chances are if someone's on your launch team, they're following you other places. So you don't necessarily need to replicate content of value in the group, um, but it would be interesting to figure out if there's some kind of exclusive connection to you that you can create in that environment that people might not get elsewhere. Do you know how other people do that? Well, you know, some have done like launch team only events where you say, if you're part of my launch team, you know, you're going to get an advanced copy of my book, but you're also going to get to come to this exclusive Q&A with me. Um, or, you know, I'm going to do an exclusive Facebook live in that Facebook group. And it's only for the people in the group. I've always kind of had this idea, though, that, you know, if I'm creating content, I want as many people to hear it and see it as I can. Um, and so I'm not really sure about that exclusivity unless there's some, you know, like collateral item, like the launch team only gets these t-shirts or I don't know if people care about book t-shirts, but you know, something that's mm -hmm. exclusive. I mean, the other thing is because you deal with change makers, one thing I've seen people do that really seems to be helpful is if you somehow connect 
the launch of your book to some cause and use it almost as a fundraising endeavor. So I've seen authors say before, you know, the proceeds from the first month are going to go to this cause. And if your launch team and your followers are also invested in that cause, then that, that may compel them to participate in different ways as well. And the proceeds of, from the book or the proceeds from, yeah, the proceeds from the book. Huh. That's fascinating. Um, it doesn't like, that sounds like something that would actually really interest me. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be a whole lot of money. No, um, it's not. (laughs) Because, you know, if you, if you assume that a traditionally published book, maybe each book for the traditionally published author has about a dollar in revenue Mm -hmm. per book. Let's just use that as like a round number. And then if you think what's typical in the first month for a first time author to sell, it's, it's a much lower number than you want to hear. It might be like two or 300 books. It might be 400 books. So when you're talking about the proceeds go to charity, you're talking about a donation of two or $300. Right. Which, you know, on one hand, I I'm very much on one hand, I'd much rather give a lot more and sell, sell a lot, have many more books out there. And I'm aware of those numbers and um, it would be very easy to, to contribute whatever amount that is. Um, sure. And that's exciting. Like it connects the book to its original intent, which is to create more change in the world. So that's an interesting and- idea. And I may not remember all the details of this, but I had the pleasure of working on a campaign with Bill Treasure on his book, Leaders Open Doors. And I can't remember the details of how much money he gave away. I think it was a lot or how he landed on the number. But he, in in promoting Leaders Open Doors, he gave to a charity that's actually local to me. And there was a family that had a son with cerebral palsy. And he was doing this thing called the cerebral palsy swagger, where a teenage boy like carried his brother on his back, his CP brother um, for many miles of walking. And then Bill donated money to that cause somehow. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason Bill was interested is is because he has a child with cerebral palsy as well. But it was just a really like heartwarming way. Bill actually came here and had like a big check that he handed to the family. And it was like, it was very compelling. So, and memorable too. So adding that kind of, uh, donation component to a book marketing plan can certainly engage people in different ways and also help you stay connected to what's most important to you. Yeah, no, that's, that had not occurred to me and that's, sounds really fun. So I, I'm curious about, in addition to just having endorsers write an endorsement, are there other ways that you recommend engaging them in making the launch successful? I'm going to give you my best ideas for that, Catherine. So idea number one is to create some endorsement graphics that include the photo of the person who's offered the endorsement. And as you share that endorsement graphic out in the world, do whatever you can to amplify the work that endorser is doing, you know, shout out their book, shout out their organization and make it more about promoting them than about promoting you. Um, You can also send the endorsement graphic to each of your endorsers and ask them if they'd consider sharing it out to their networks as well. And I, that actually also works with anyone that you've interviewed in your book. So for my campaign, we went through the book and we looked at anyone that I featured in the book and we created a graphic for every single one. And throughout when the book came out and even now, a couple of months later, we're continuing to share those graphics as a way of amplifying the great work of the people that I interviewed in the book. 
So that's idea number one, to use graphics and, you know, also to make a request of your endorsers to share your book. Um, you know, sometimes they will want to and sometimes they won't. And I think, you know, just making peace with that of understanding that, you know, these big name people, you know, might have been willing to endorse the book, but that might be the end of their commitment. Uh, the other thing that you could do is if you're planning any virtual events connected to your book, you can invite your endorsers to be a part of them. So I had a virtual launch party for my book on launch day, and I was so blessed and encouraged that Ken Blanchard, who endorsed my book, came to my launch party and talked about, you know, his admiration for my work, which, of course, I admire him. And it was wonderful to have him, you know, speaking out for me. So it um, that can be a way, you know, for a launch party, invite your endorsers. If you have a close relationship, ask them to speak about you. Um, the other thing that you can also do is um, if you're planning any kind of webinar event where you want to bring the core concepts of your book to life, you could invite one of your endorsers to be a co-presenter or a co-host with you, which could give some exposure to their work as well. I'm curious what you recommend. I realize that a couple of things are on my list right now. One idea is that next year is my, and you actually gave me this idea. Next year is the 10 year anniversary or birthday of my company and my coaching business. And uh, April is my personal birthday. And I was thinking about before the launch to have like a pre-launch birthday celebration, celebrating my business, celebrating my birthday and I was thinking, I know that pre-orders are very important. So I was thinking that that could be a timing, a time that an event could be appropriate, but I'm not attached to that at all. I've also thought about if uh, COVID behaves, um, that it would be really fun to do a bookstore tour, especially in like capital cities. I live in Massachusetts, capital cities uh, in the Northeast where, you know, my folks who are engaged in statewide policy change might be located. So I've thought about that. I definitely want to do a podcast tour. What thoughts do you have about launch events? So I think anytime you can show up in person or bring people together, it can be very powerful for driving momentum for your book. Um, I, I do love the idea of, you know, celebrating your company anniversary and the book at the same time. And I think your birthday also, especially if it's a milestone birthday or if you're willing to talk about how old you are, I think that's helpful too. I don't know how old you are, younger than me, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm 41, so it's not exactly a milestone birthday, but it would be a bigger celebration than I was able to have this year with, with COVID and everything. Um, so, <laughs> well, here's a funny thing to tell you, Catherine, I'm exactly 10 years older than you because this year I turned 51. So it's like, look at the, the synergy yeah. there, like the company the anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Yay. You, I mean, I, I think that you can use your birthday. You can use your company anniversary. Um, you know, anything that you can use to bring people together and the whole idea of celebration is really helpful. You know, people will want to celebrate with you. This is a milestone. Your book deserves to be celebrated. Um, in terms of bookstore tours, like I have mixed feelings about them. If you know that you can bring together a crowd in the various places you would tour, if you know people in those locations, then a bookstore 
tour can be useful, but it will take a lot, I think, of personal invitation and outreach because, you know, while you would hope that the bookstore would bring its own people to your event, I think the likelihood of that happening, especially in this kind of post-COVID world, is low. So I did do a bookstore event. I have been looking for a way to talk about my bookstore event with authenticity while maintaining my deep respect and admiration for the bookstore owner. So what I have noticed and what the bookstore owner shared with me is that she used to have traction for her events. She had people coming to her events. Then when COVID happened, it's been harder for her to get her people back. And so most of the time, if a bookstore event is successful, it's because the author in this post-COVID world is bringing people in. And I think that's natural. And it was lovely that this bookstore owner hosted me. But the disappointing reality is I failed to invite my people. And the only people I had show up were my husband's cousin and his wife and otherwise just the people who were in the store that day. So I felt like a failure. Um, And the lesson I took away from it is that the way the world is right now, if a bookstore event is going to be successful, there's probably a lot of outreach that has to happen where you get people's buy-in and participation. You know, they're going to show up and that's why you're doing it. Okay. That's super helpful. I think you just saved me a whole lot of work um, or unsuccessful work. I, I can, there's three small cities in my Western Massachusetts area that I could see very much bringing whole bunch of people if I do the work well, but perhaps not traveling far, far afield. Um, Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say I've worked with authors before. And, you know, if you have lived in various places in your life and you've maintained relationships in those places, a book tour can be a great way to revitalize those relationships and reconnect with people. Mm -hmm. And if you plan in advance and let people know that you're coming, I could see that. Um, Lisa Fain is an author who I worked with, and unfortunately, COVID really crushed a lot of her plans for this, but she had lived early in her career in the Chicago area. In fact, we lived only a few miles from each other at the same time. We didn't know each other, Um, and she lived in Evanston, Illinois, and prior to the pandemic, we had secured this Evanston, Illinois bookstore event, and she was excited to bring all her people together, Mm -hmm. and then, of course, this was right around the time that COVID first started. So that was canceled, but, you know, Lisa had kind of this established set of relationships in Chicago in Seattle, where she's from and in Phoenix, where her mother, who was her co-author lived. And so they were going to do these three different cities and they could bring people together. But I think you have to know that you have your people in a place and then, you know, use that as a means of reconnecting relationships and sharing your work. Okay. That's really helpful. I guess I'm wondering if there's any virtual events that I have to do or that are really effective or I, I feel at a loss of, <laughs> I know I'm supposed to make launch week a really big deal, but I, I don't know what to do that week in terms of events or, or how many events I should do or yeah, thoughts about launch week events. Sure. So I would reference everybody back to the podcast that I recorded during my launch week. So I recorded one episode every day. Um, I would at the minimum have a virtual launch celebration on your launch day because you want to bring everyone together on that day, have all your people together and drive key calls to action, like buying the book and reviewing the book. So that would be Tuesday. 
The other thing you want to do is think about how are you going to stay in touch across the week with your various connections and followers. So you might have heard me say that I chose to send an email every day to my list during launch week. And a lot of people are not willing to do that. It was a lot of work. I did write them in advance, some of them, and then I wrote some of them in the week so that I could share what was actually happening in the week. You know, in an ideal world, you would have a podcast tour in which far in advance of launch, you've secured podcast appearances that will all drop during that week. So even though you're not having to do the work in that week, it will ensure momentum in terms of people hearing about the book during that week. Um, That does take some careful coordination. It may mean that you need to start that podcast pitching campaign many months in advance because a lot of podcast hosts record far in advance. So, you know, if your book happens to be coming out in April, then it may be that in November you're wanting to record those podcasts with hopes that the podcast hosts will um, have it come out during your pub week. Um, I would say also, Catherine, you just want to have your week be as open as possible because if it's important to you to connect relationally with your uh, core audiences, you know, having time open will allow you to do that. You almost don't even need to have anything on the calendar. You need to give yourself the freedom to wake up each day of your launch. We can think about how do I want to bring value through the book? You know, how do I want to celebrate the book? And an in-person party is great fun. You know, I didn't plan one. I had a surprise party, but it was, it was mm. wonderful. And mm. I w- for some reason this morning, I woke up and I was thinking about how we're almost to the halfway point of the year. Mm-hmm. And I was like asking myself, like, of everything that's happened this first mm-hmm. half of the year, like, what's the most joyful? And I think the surprise of Amy, my VP of ops, and then the rest of the team, like pulling off an actual surprise for my launch. That was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I'm so I'm so glad that they did that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, awesome. I remember seeing the pictures on Instagram and just the joy in them. So it was super yeah. fun. I hope that you have similar, like, not that someone has to throw you a big party, but I hope that you have a lot of joy on your journey too. Thank you. Thanks. So Catherine, at the end of every episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast, we typically like to leave our listeners with a couple of action items that they can take to move their own book marketing efforts forward. And so as we wrap up this episode, which is part one of two with Catherine Golub, um, I want to leave you with a couple of things that you can do. So the first one is uh, as it relates to endorsements. So if you're an author who uh, has not secured endorsements for your book yet, and you're in this place uh, like Catherine of exploring who you might want to endorse your book when you write it, I would encourage you to take a few moments as soon as you're done listening to this episode and jot down a list of people you might ask to endorse your book. And then when you're done with that, um, even though you haven't written the book yet, it's not too early to start dreaming. Write down some words that you hope people will say about that future book and tuck them away for when you get to the point of endorsements. How does that sound? Are those good action sounds items? Great. Yeah, it sounds great. And I'll back that up by last year when I have, I have a big handful, maybe 15 people who've already written endorsements. And and they're not famous, but they're wonderful and engaged and, and well-known in their fields. And many of them needed many months to do it. If I think of someone asking me to do it, it would take me many months. And so the, the more well-known you become, the, I imagine the more, I don't know if that's accurate, but I can imagine the more full your plate becomes. And so just really out of respect, giving people the time and knowing that they'll need it, I think it's very important. 
Great. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. This was such a good time that we're going to do another episode to follow up on more of your questions. So we're turning the tables and Catherine is asking me. So be sure to come back and look for the next installment in this little mini series of Catherine asking Becky questions. Um, as always, if you have any questions for me, you can email me. I'm Becky at weavinginfluence.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode or any of the others that we have, I would encourage you to rate or follow or subscribe or do all those things that will help other listeners find the show. So thanks and have a great day. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or have been enjoying our show, please consider leaving us a review. And as always, if you have any questions, please feel free to email Becky at Becky at weavinginfluence.com.